0: America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
1: Good morning, everybody. Big day in history. President Obama is back in gay marriage. There's a lot in the news, um, but we're going to be talking about news in the workplace today. And I have attorney Laura S. Winthrow with Nordman, Cormony Hare, and Compton, To talk about some of the recent news, talk about issues that everybody should be aware of. There's some California employer news, and although this is a global show, we'll talk about why this might be relevant in other places as well. We're going to talk about the importance of employee handbooks, and we're going to talk about social media in the workplace later on the show. Welcome, Laura.
2: Good morning, Cindy. Thank you for having me.
1: And you sound really good. You didn't cheat on me and use some kind of mobile mobile device where we couldn't hear you well. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are a woman of the world that announces a a radio show and 72 people like it on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I was very, very impressed by that. (laughs) But um, listen, the reason why you thought... It would be great to share some information on the show as you were very excited on behalf of your firm and really on behalf of employers in general about Brinker Restaurant Court versus Superior Court. And, um, you know, I know that California employers in particular always have to look for good news, and what my listeners need to know is that California state law is rather different than a lot of other states in the U.S.A., And um, a lot of my friends that are working in New York, for example, don't suffer from the same kind of um, employee in in terms of rules and regulations and law that protect the employee as employers do in the state of California. And the state of California is generally very employee-friendly, which is nice for the employee, but puts a nice burden on the employer. Did I say that in the right global context?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is a very tough state to be an employer. And there's a lo- there are a lot of regulations, there are a lot of liabilities that are imposed on employers here in California that, quite frankly, other employers throughout the country just don't have to deal
1: with. And um, it's a real eye-opener when somebody from out-of-state, um, like me, for example, that you know, was very familiar with New York employer and employee law, Um, and then you move to the state of California and you become an employer and you have no idea what's going on when, you know, you're advised by your employment attorney not to shoot, you know, um, a smartphone message to any of your employees over the weekend. And it's as simple as that. And, you know, people who are coming from out of state or who are not familiar with the state law, Um, can really get into trouble.
2: That's true, and I've I've done a lot of presentations to national employers to talk to them about how what they're doing in every other state is going to get them in trouble here in California. And it can be things as simple as the way they pay overtime, for example, because in most of the rest of the country, you don't hit an overtime liability until your employee has worked 40 hours in a week. Here we have daily overtime. So once they hit eight hours in a day, all of a sudden you owe them overtime.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's something that um employers must get familiar with. I'm not saying that there's listen, California is a great place to live. I know that there's a lot of, you know, financial challenges for the state right now and certainly a lot of employment challenges, but um Hey, you can't beat the weather. So let's talk about Brinker Restaurants and what happened and why it's really, really good news for the California employer after this somber conversation about the state of California.
2: Yeah, it's nice to finally have some good news for the employer side because we don't get it very often. In this case, what the court was trying to determine was whether or not California employers have to ensure that their employees take their meal breaks or is it simply sufficient to just provide employees with a meal period? Do you have to stand over their shoulders and make sure you take them? Right. And what the court decided in a unanimous decision um, was that essentially an employer satisfies their obligation with regard to meal periods if they permit an opportunity, for an employee to take an uninterrupted 30-minute meal period.
1: That's great. So if the employee decides that they don't want to leave their desk, it's not really the burden of the employer any longer.
2: Correct. We don't have to babysit our employees, and we actually put some personal responsibility on an employee to take care of themselves, to actually take a meal break when they're supposed to take it.
1: It's, a, it's such a great, it, I'm so glad that you wrote about this and that, you you know, you did, you did quite a bit of, um, you know, communication about the issue because um, I, it's, people outside of the state of California don't understand that. It, for national employers, it's very interesting. If they have offices in different states, it, you know, they could be visiting, you know, their Illinois office, okay, in Chicago. They could be visiting other parts of the country. And, you know, if they are at a level where they have, you know, leadership responsibilities or, you know, um, are responsible for managing employees outside of the state, they really kind of think that it's crazy in California when, you know, they're working on a project and, you know, all of a sudden the employee says, You know, I have to take my lunch break now. Or if they don't say it, somebody says to them, you have to make him take his lunch break now. It it really sounds kind of archaic to those of us that have come to California after being (laughs) in another state or, you know, being located in another state. Because in other places it's just common sense. People are so happy to have their jobs that it's never a question, you know. And the babysitting issue is just really... Crazy. It It's just not logical as you're using your materials. That's and, true.
2: And there are still requirements, which the court did uh, talk about in this decision, too, where, you know, a meal break has to be taken no more than five hours into the shift. And that becomes significant when you have a situation of an employee who wants to, say, skip their meal break so they can leave an hour early because they have something they want to do after work. You still can't do that in California, and I know that becomes an issue, especially for national employers who are used to letting other employees do things
1: like that. Right. Well, I think that this is very encouraging news, Laura, and um, you know I'm hoping that maybe it sets a precedent to make, take some other burdens off of the employer in the state of California. I think um, you know it's we're living in a time. Let's talk logic and reality in business where, you know, most people would say anybody who has a job should be kissing the ring of, you know, the reception area that they work in. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, if you ha- I think people really have to learn what this economy actually did in terms of job droughts for lack of a better term. And, you know, I think that an employee should really respect their employer and not sit there looking for reasons to, you know, file suit against an employer, you know, should there be something that, you know, might not seem as flexible because of California state law. I think that it creates, you know, a litigiousness, and I'm making up a word. <laughs> um, Early
2: in the morning, I think that's perfectly acceptable.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, as long as you say you're making up the word, I think it's okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, you know, an unnecessarily litigious environment. Said better, and um, again, the law is the law, and you could certainly reinforce that as an attorney, but. For people who are thinking practically and efficiently, I don't think that an employer should have to face that many obstacles when employing people as long as they're not abusing them. Yeah,
2: well, when you run for California legislature, me and every other employer in the state will be voting for you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but the employees will throw bananas at me. So you can't win all constituents at once and again. But, you know, it's interesting, Laura, from an employee standpoint, too, it's, you know, just working as an employee in the state of California, um, you know, good employees won't look. They shouldn't be measuring everything so carefully. A good employee with great work ethics you know, they're not, they shouldn't be in there, you know, with uh, their iPad taking notes on what's going wrong. <laughs> well, that is true, but there are a
2: lot of employees doing that. Unfortunately, I think we're still a little far away from really giving employees the full autonomy over their time and their workday. Because, as I said, we still can't allow them to skip lunch to leave early. We still can't allow them to combine their rest periods with their meal periods those are all still violations of California labor laws. So we're not there yet, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we're heading in the right direction.
1: Well, I think I think that's really terrific news. Is there anything else that you want to add to the Brinker Restaurant decision? Because I know that you wrote quite a lot about it. So,
2: Yeah, two, two more um, real significant things that come out of this decision. One is that, historically there is a penalty that gets attached to an employer any time that an employee misses a meal break. You have to pay them for an extra hour of work for that missed meal period, even if your meal period is only 30 minutes. And what this Brinker decision does is it now removes that penalty for those situations where an employee voluntarily skips their meal break. So unless you tell them that you can't take lunch today and need you to work through and finish this project, then you don't have to pay that penalty anymore as an employer. So that's certainly good news. And from a legal perspective, the other thing that I'm hoping will come out of this decision is I think it's going to make it a lot harder for plaintiff's attorneys to be able to get class action certified for these missed meal and rest period cases because it looks at things on a much more individualized situation now, which is going to make it much harder for class actions.
1: Oh, and, I, and again, very, very good news for the California employer, very, very good news for people who have management responsibilities outside of the state. Um, you know, So we thank you for sharing that. And we're coming to the end of this segment, Laura, so... Um, I want to tell listeners that in the next couple of segments, we're going to be talking about the importance of devising a comprehensive employee handbook for crisis prevention. And, I, you know, this really goes for, this is global, this is national. Um, you know, this is not only something that is relevant to the California state employer. Um, the handbook issue is you know, the Bible of the workplace. (laughs) And um, it really sets the rules. And if the employee signs, you know, a a letter that says that they have read and understood and, um, you know, interpreted all of the content in the employee handbook, it's very, very... it really makes things pretty black and white. And there's so many companies that I know that you and I both have run into, and sometimes small companies who, you know, just say, well, we're small. We don't really need it. And then you want to say, oh, my God, well, you know, if you had done this, right?
2: <laughs> right. Well, having one and following one are certainly the two most important things.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to learn more about the employee handbook in just
0: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz.
1: We're back, and we are with Laura Winthrow. Laura, I told you offline that I wanted to have you back on the show so I could say your name right since you were on the show about three, four years ago. (laughs) I gave you a new name. (laughs) I've been called worse. Um, but um and now you are with Nordman, Cormany, Hare and Compton. Congratulations by the way, because I know I don't know, are you there for about a year now? Uh yeah, going on a year. See? I know these things. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> Even though I might not see you very often, I keep track of of my peeps who are on my radio show. <laughs> but um, we were talking at the end of the last segment about the importance of devising an employee handbook, and you said something as a, that worked as a really great teaser, which is you know creating an employee handbook and following the employee handbook are two very distinct and important things to do. So I'm just going to ask you um, if, you know, every employer really needs to have an employee handbook.
2: Well, I get that question a lot, especially from smaller employers who want to know if they really need one or not. And what I think the most important thing about having an employee handbook is, is that it provides you with a framework for consistently dealing with employee issues. So if you have two employees and you're not likely to forget how you handled one employee's situation compared to the other, then maybe you can live without a handbook until you get a little bit bigger. But really, once you get to the size, and that may be five, six employees, where you need to start making sure that you're dealing with everyone's situations the same way, then you absolutely need an employee handbook.
1: I, I agree. I Those of us that came from the corporate world, we don't know any other way. <laughs> so I, I think that you'll find that, you know, people like me that grew up, you know, living by corporate policy, um, we're kind of, you know, um, accustomed to it, and we don't know what to do without it.
2: <laughs> well, and for an employee, it's a great place to go, to to find out what the policy is to determine what your expectations should be with regard to a leave of absence or what's expected of you. So those of us, I agree, who have grown up in that environment where we've always had one to rely on, we expect that guidance.
1: It, no, it's really true. And then when we have a handbook or even a written document, let's, I mean, that works as a mini handbook, a micro handbook, okay, um, you know, just to... Um, articulate expectations and policies. Sometimes people think that's a little overboard, but I've learned in the state of California, even as a very small company, I wouldn't have it any other way. And what it also does for my um, associates that are out of state, it helps them to understand what we have to face in the state of California because I have a New York partner and, you know, she just doesn't understand at all if you have an intern, why that intern wouldn't want to love to go to MSNBC with you at 7 p.m. at night without really understanding, you know, what the import, what California labor law says. She doesn't know. She doesn't have a context. She doesn't have to live with it. Right. So what it does for us is it really kind of explains for people who are working with our company or associated with our company, um, or even freelancing with our company, okay, what the culture of our company is and what our expectations are.
2: Right. Right, and the place that I see it being really the most helpful, especially for smaller employers, is when it comes to leaves of absence. Because a lot of employers don't know what their obligations are. How much time do you have to give an employee off? How much should you give them off? And we're subject to so many different regulations, federal and state, that vary based on the size of your company, how many employees you have. That it's really nice to have one place that you as the employer can go, the employee can go to look and see, oh, here's what I'm entitled to. And then everybody's on the same page as far as what their expectations are.
1: Right, and, you know, in, all, in, in terms of paid vacation and, you know, unpaid vacation and leave and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's a really good idea, and, um, you know, I think even, you know, if you think that you are too small, it's better to have be safe than sorry, and um, not a bad idea to meet, like, with somebody like you, Laura, to, you know, help them devise... Um, you know, some simple policy.
2: Yeah, and and not to toot my own horn too much, but I do think that there's huge value in talking to an employment attorney or a really good human resource consultant uh, when you're putting together your policies because I've seen way too many handbooks that clients put together from things they found on the Internet or things they got from their payroll company, and they end up including things that they really didn't need to include because they might be policies that would only otherwise apply to a company of a bigger size. And now they've created obligations for themselves that they didn't even need to
1: create. Right. Now, um, again, I'm reinforcing what we're both saying. It's really, you you can't just take this stuff off the Internet. And when it comes to anything that, you know, has to do with lawmaking or, you know, protection by the law, I mean, you got to think about the worst case scenario, and um, people don't. It's sort of like you know estate planning, prenuptial agreements, crisis planning. I mean, and you know nobody wants to think about the worst case scenario. But until something goes wrong, and they see how many dollars are required to cover a suit, um, you know they say you know they have that v-8 moment where they hit themselves in the head and say, why didn't I? Right. right. And, and
2: that's, you know, very often those, that's one of the biggest concerns that employers have with putting the policies in place is what's it going to cost me to put them in place. It's not very expensive to create a handbook, especially from scratch, and that the cost of that insurance that you've now created by having some consistency, it really reduces the likelihood of you getting sued for discrimination or harassment Based on inconsistent implementation implementation of policies.
1: No, it's really, really true, and I'm sure that you see it all the time when you have to defend. And um, you know, it's uh, you know, we we that live in the world of law, we see it all too often. The why didn't I? Right. <laughs> and um, you know, so I think it's really important. So, how does a person? I mean, you you have, you know, given me a list of all of the things that should be included in an employee handbook. And, you know, let's talk about them. Rather than just shooting off bullet points, let's talk about the important ones and why they're important. Sure. Well,
2: one of the most important ones, especially here in California, is to include an at-will employment statement that that reminds your employees that they are at will, which means that you can terminate them at any time for any reason, as long as it's not a discriminatory reason, and they can leave their employment at any time for any reason. So that's a very important thing to reiterate over and over again, especially here in California, because you don't want employees having expectations of guaranteed employment. So that's, that's a big one, and you also want to make sure they understand that even though you're putting policies in place, they, those don't act as any sort of guarantee of employment. Another policy that is very important, and this is really what I was thinking about when I said not only do you have to have one, but you have to follow it, is a dispute resolution policy, something that's in place for when an employee thinks that they've been treated badly in the workplace, you have to provide them with an opportunity to complain about that, and that policy also has to incorporate some sort of way of resolving these types of issues, some investigation that will be done, some way of handling it. And having this policy and following this policy will definitely keep an employer out of a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, now definitely very, very important for the state of California, for those who are listening. And there are so many people in the state of California that have been – you know had to leave the you know the corporate the large corporate workplace because of downsizing or whatever the case may be and they could be really fine entrepreneurs but there these are things that they're not accustomed to dealing with which is you know the operational side right. and if anybody is listening or downloading this show that is n- new to owning a business in the state of California, it's, I recommend that this is the first thing that should be done. You know, there's a number of things that have to be done. There's creating a website, which is really important, so people that know you're there, that's your street sign. Um, you know, un- having a great accountant to understand accounting procedures and payroll and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, your corporate policy. And, again, this could – I'm using that term very loosely, but I think that employee handbook falls under the corporate policy umbrella from an operational standpoint. um, It's so important.
2: Sure. Well, we've already talked about the meal and rest period requirements, some of the leave of absence issues. Having it in a policy not only lets your employees know what to expect – But it educates the employer in a lot of times, too, because I have employers call me all the time and say, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Well, if you have a handbook in place that already sets forth what you want to do, then that's reassurance to the employer that now you're not scrambling, trying to guess what your obligations are. You know what they are.
1: It's interesting. I'm going to use a dramatic example, and this goes outside of the California um area but in the state of Indiana where gun laws you know are you know much more lenient <laughs> than yeah. they are in other countries when the okay so that's state law but it an employee can claim that it's okay to take his guns to the workplace because he's going hunting after work that's employ you know just an example okay but If the Indiana state employer has a very strict policy against bringing guns into the workplace, that really protects the employer.
2: Sure. Well, and I can give you a California example, not to always bring it back here, but this is where I practice law. Um, You know, a California example would be medical marijuana. So in California, we've legalized the use of medical marijuana, but under federal law, it's still illegal,
1: so no, that's a very good example, and you know i I will always bring things you know outside of California, <laughs> but you know you are more than welcome to bring it back and marijuana is certainly a very, very good example we're going to have to take another commercial break, Laura, and when we come back, we'll finish up talking about you know employee handbook and um, then talk about social media, which is an area that should be included in employee handbooks because social media has become so popular and you know, understanding what, you know, the guidelines both for the employer and the employee I would imagine is very important, isn't it, Laura? Absolutely. All right. Stand by we'll have more on employment law when Laura Winthrow comes back.
0: Saleability into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1 818 783 3307.
3: Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows.
0: BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet Talk Radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Get free advice from crisis communications guru, Cindy Rakowitz, now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
1: For those of you that are just tuning in, I I really highly encourage you to go back to the beginning of this podcast and listen to what Laura Winthrow has to say about employment law because the first two segments contained very relevant information, um, particularly for the California state employer. So um, just go back on your MP3 downloads and you know get the contacts for the entire show. And um, in this segment, Laura, we're going to continue talking about um the policies that should be included in every employee handbook. I know that we went through some of them, but you gave me a really comprehensive list, okay, that, um, you know, we talked about dispute resolution policy. We talked about policy against harassment and retaliation and, you know, the at-will employment stuff that's really, really important and um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Statement. Um, But there's a lot of other stuff. I mean, there's confidential information because you could hire somebody and they have no idea that something, you know, is corporate information, proprietary and confidential, and they could blab about it, you know, on Facebook. We'll talk more about social media later. But, um, you know, why don't you talk more about things like inspection of workstations, personal belongings, etc.?
2: Sure, you want your, your employee handbook to set forth the expectations and the understandings for your employees of what's going to happen in the workplace. So, for example, as an employer, you provide your employees with a place to work. You provide them with a desk where they can sit and they can do their work. You provide them with a computer uh, to do their work on. You need to set forth for them right from the very beginning what their expectation of privacy should be in using those uh, that equipment that you've provided to them, it always amazes me, the things that people do from their work computers that they think are private. And they're really not. That's a company-owned equipment. That's company-owned equipment that was provided to you for the purpose of getting work done. And when you're using it for other things, you shouldn't expect that you still
1: have that same level of privacy. No, exactly. Well, people do. They think it's their own little living room. Right. <laughs> They think that it's their area and, um, you know, they could decorate it the way that they want to and unless, you know, and own all of the information that is in the IT system and, you know, they think it's their computer, quote-unquote, my computer, you know, not a company computer. And their employers might not understand that these lines for the employee particularly you know, and on an experienced an inexperienced employee, you know these things have to really be banged out and clear, and um, it can't just be in a conversation, you know um, it has to be written and I mean well, and I'm, the
2: reason that you want to write it too is I think what happens is when you rely just on verbally expressing these things to employees, you forget. You're going to miss things, and that's a, another great reason just to have the handbook in place. Because hopefully, it's an opportunity to increase employee morale. You provide some confidence that this is, you know, this is a good company who treats its employees fairly, and um, it's also a great way to communicate benefits to employees that you might otherwise overlook. Because you might forget to tell them about it, and also standards of performance so important. What do you expect of an employee? What can they and can they not do in the workplace? How do you expect them to dress in the workplace? All things that you want to make sure get communicated, and they're all things that it's easy to forget if you don't have it written down somewhere.
1: Well, I think that's very, very true. I, um, again, I, you know, coming from the corporate world, I don't know any other way. Right. So. Um, Although as, you know, a small business, you know, you want to kind of be a little bit more lenient than you may, than you had to be in the big business, the C-suite world, but still the policies are just as important. And even if you have you know, a lenient or, you know, um, a relaxed workplace environment, it's better to have these things written down than not. Don't you agree?
2: Well, I do. And even in that relaxed environment, you want to make sure you're still complying with California's labor requirements because what happens is you have a nice congenial environment where everybody's family and friends, and then you have to let someone go and all of a sudden they're concerned about where they're going to get another paycheck and they remember that you know I, I used to just work through my lunches because i didn't really mind because it was you know i was i liked where i was but now i know i can get some money from that which i'm desperate for because i don't know when i'm going to get another job
1: right no exactly right what types of policies can an employer put in place to control out of work conduct of its employees that's really in You know, I think that's really important, particularly when we hear of instances on the news (laughs) where um, you know an employee acts a certain way, and then it becomes confused with the company's image and all of that kind of stuff. So, wanted to explain that a little bit.
2: Yeah, and you and I have talked about this a little bit within the context of you know the Secret Service scandal and how the conduct of an employee can certainly shed bad light on the employer and and what can you do to control that. California really puts a lot of limitations on employers in this regard, which I'm sure is no surprise. Um, What the California Labor Code does is it really prohibits an employer from taking any action against an employee who engages in legal off-duty conduct. So you cannot reprimand an employee for something that they do outside of the workplace that's otherwise legal for them to be doing. You may not like it, but you can't then bring that into the workplace as long as it's not affecting their ability to perform the essential functions of their job. What, I... um, what happens in a lot of cases where you have, you know, more high-profile employees, talk about, you know, athletes and celebrities then, you know, their contracts generally include morality clauses, you know, anything that could reflect badly upon the team, the studio. They're not allowed to engage in those um, types of activities. Um, And quite frankly, I haven't really seen those litigated all that much um, because it seems like they would fly in the face of California's labor code prohibitions, Um, but they're public you know, public figures are certainly held to a different standard.
1: Well, they are, and I think that's really important for my friends in the entertainment industry, of which I have a lot. So, I mean, you know, it's it's very interesting, and as you know, as you know, I was a corporate officer at Playboy Enterprises for 16 years, and I was the president of the Playmate Promotions and Playboy Models arm. So um, the way that they conducted themselves was very, very important, you know, um, outside of Playboy because they were always representing Playboy. Right. And, um, I, you know, I think that if the policies are very strong, again, talk about independent contractor handbooks, um, you know, and, and agreements, independent contractor agreements and employee agreements, okay, they have to be um, written in very, very strong language in the state of California. Right. Um, That's what the challenge to, um, you know, people who are working with public figures have to take into account. Right. Because they have to protect the company, and particularly in a place like Playboy where, you know, all kinds of misinterpretations um, (laughs) go into um, what a Playboy playmate should do and not do off hours. Has to be kind of highly regulated.
2: Sure, sure. But in that situation, you know, I think from a corporate perspective, there's an argument that that person is still performing their duties at all times, really, because one of their duties is to represent the corporate entity.
1: No, that's absolutely right. So, but, you know, again, the only thing that had to be handled is the language of these kinds of contracts to protect the employer. Right. And, um, you know, and it, listen, the public world is one of the worlds that I'm very, very, very familiar with. So maybe that's another reason why I'm very conservative when it comes to writing policies and handbooks. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah,
2: in California especially, you absolutely have to
1: be. You think people, you think the listeners are getting the message, Laura? <laughs> I think
2: I may have
1: said it enough times, yes, uh, well, you know, I don't think that too many times is enough, really, so um you know, I think that it's great for all of the people listening that they understand that this is an important issue, even though we might be um reiterating it a little much, so um it's an it's an important point um. You know, we've talked about a lot of things, and I think that we want to talk about social media in the workplace a little bit. We're coming to the end of this segment, Laura. Do you mind staying on for one more segment so we have time to talk about that specifically? Sure, that's fine. Okay, appreciate your time. I want to give you a nice plug again. and this is We're talking with Laura Winthrow from Nordman, Cormany, Hare, and Compton, and um, she is an employment law specialist and we are going to be talking about social media in the workplace in the next segment and last segment, so don't go away.
0: saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307 Movie
3: premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows.
0: VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com
3: The inner workings of the mind and body are a fascinating study into who we are. Our motivations, creativity, wants, and fears. Is everyone capable of great atrocities as well as great accomplishments? What haunts or helps us pursue the things we desire? We all want to know why we do the things we do and what makes us unique. But even more, we want to know what to do next. For answers to these questions, tune in to The Mind of the Matter with Dr. Susan Hickman on the Voice America Variety Channel every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific. Join us every week as we help you master the mind of the matter.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
0: VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards... Then she can hang on her wall, including three Cleos. Call in now at one 472 5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R.
1: Okay, we're in our last segment with Laura Winthrow. I want to ask everybody to go back, and this is really a great show if um, you really want to understand what's going on in the state of California with employment law, and Laura, I really want to thank you for your generous time in sharing information. And in this last segment, um, you know, if you listen to the first three segments, you could really have a context for social media in the workplace and why policies have to be put in place and... um, you know, how this fast proliferation of this new communications medium makes, can make lines blurred between work and play. And I, and I think that you would agree with that. You talk about what, in prior segments, what is workplace information and what is social or off-time information. And these social media platforms really allow for, you know, misinterpretation here.
2: Yeah, the, you know, there's obviously some really great things about social media and what it can do for the workplace, but it creates, you know, those dangers too of confidential information getting out, of, you know, information being shared about your company that you might not want out there.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Right. So what do you when you sit down um with an employer, okay? How do you advise that they approach the social media policies in their company?
2: Well, the first thing is that they have to realize that it exists. And, you know, it's amazing in today's age that there's still a lot of employers who want to put their head in the sand and think it's not an issue, but it definitely is. And employers always want to know how much they can control what's said in social media about them and what they can then do about it. You know, how, when can you discipline an employee for what they say on Facebook about your company?
1: Well, you know, there's some. Case, I mean, there are some visible cases, aren't there, that have been in the news yes. in terms of you know employees getting fired for defaming their company.
2: Right. Right. Ale- allegedly
1: defaming their company.
2: Well, and the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, has taken a very uh, strong position with regard to what's protected and what's not. And what the NLRB says is that you cannot um, discipline, you cannot control your employees' conversations about workplace conditions with their coworkers, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's on a street corner or whether that's on social media. And what the NLRB is looking at is, is this potentially activity by the employees to unionize, and you can't impede that as an employer.
1: That's so interesting. If- that's very, very interesting. As public as, you know, the the difference is, however, and this is from a communication standpoint, you know, where it gets blurry, but, you know, um, Regulation is regulation, it, but social media makes it so public, though.
2: It makes it very public, correct. Of course, you're reaching a much broader audience than simply standing on your, you know, soapbox on the street corner. But what you know, with regard to what employees can and cannot say, there, there's been, like you said, a lot of litigation in this area. And essentially what it comes down to is whether or not they're discussing their workplace conditions and who they're discussing it with. So an employee who's simply bad-mouthing a supervisor, calling them names, uh, revealing any sort of confidential information. There was a very famous case about an employee who was, um, was making fun of essentially a customer. Well, that's not protected activity. You know, those types of things you can absolutely discipline an employee for. And if those communications are going out to friends and family who aren't in the workplace, then they're also not protected. You know, even the NLRB says that's not protected. So it's really, you have to look at the audience, too, um, who's who this information is being given to.
1: And what do you recommend in terms of social media policies in an employee in an, in an employee handbook that, you know, covers the employer but takes into account regulation and law.
2: Well, the NLRB has given us quite a few guidelines on what they will and will not accept in social media policies. And one of the things that they're coming down on are policies that are exceptionally vague, and policies that include language like you cannot say anything negative about the uh, about the company. You can't say anything that might embarrass the company. Well, that's awfully broad and open to interpretation. So, what the NLRB has requested is that when we write those types of policies, we put in examples of things that should not be said things that can be controlled by the employer. With regard to confidential information, there needs to be a definition of what is that proprietary information that you're not allowed to share, information specifically involving, you know, the know-how of the company, customer lists, personal information about clientele, things like that. We're supposed to spell it out. So policies are getting more specific, but we also have to recognize the privacy rights of the employees. You know, we can't intrude too much on what they're doing. So what um, what I recommend and when I write the policies is I put sort of a catch-all sentence at the end that says, you know, this policy is not meant to impede on the privacy rights of the employee, and hopefully that will protect some employers. It hasn't really been tested yet.
1: Well, it's all there. It's also very new, and I would imagine that the laws, you know, has been written very recently. When when did um, NLRB finally um, put together the guidelines? I would imagine it wasn't too long ago.
2: Yeah, and these are guidelines really that are coming out of some recent decisions that they've made, and we're talking about just within the last two three years for sure
1: right and i would you know and this is important for unions too because i would imagine well listen a union is a union and you know this is an area that an employment attorney would know much better than i but um you know i would imagine that there has to be some you know reasonable guidelines in the union handbooks too in terms of what is fair discussion and what might be damage, damaging to the company sure Sure, of course. Um, you know, but that's uh, you know, these things were just adapted from, you know, prior law and trying to interpret it to the social media communications world, which is still very new in context. Right.
2: Yeah, if I can share quickly the facts of what I thought was a very interesting case that dealt with the privacy issue here. There was a case involving a restaurant where several employees of the restaurant had put together a private MySpace group where they could log in and, you know, basically complain about things that were happening in the workplace. And it was only for the servers and they had, you know, given each other the password. Well, one of the employees gave the password to one of the members of management. And the manager would log in unannounced, and he would read the things that were being said by his employees about the business, and he ultimately ended up firing two of these employees for things that were said on this private MySpace page that required a password to get into. And the employees then sued for wrongful termination and invasion of privacy. And the wrongful termination issues ended up being dismissed by the court on other grounds, but the court did determine that that manager's actions were a violation of these employees' privacy because they had an expectation that this
1: was a private forum. So oh, that makes sense. It you know it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, um, it, it's. The, I think that we're going to see a lot that is publicized. And I think that a lot of new precedents are going to be set as everybody begins to understand the implications of the digital world.
2: Right. There's been a lot of talk recently about whether or not employers should be asking for their employees' passwords. Do you ask job applications for their Facebook passwords so that you can take a look and find out who these people are? And my advice across the board is always absolutely not because you're going to find out information that you wouldn't otherwise know about these people that then they could claim you've used against them, information that could be protected information, such as their age or a disability or something like that.
1: It's, and I think that's really important. You know, it's, um, an employer always has to take privacy into account and extra liability into account for the reasons that you stated, so um you know i i think that these are issues that make the employee handbook even more mandatory than right. it was and um that means that a lot of people should talk to you Laura so it's um you know but it's necessary and it protects companies yep. and individuals and um you know there's reasons why You know, laws are created and handbooks are created, and it's always best to be protected. Like um, the Boy Scout mantra, right? It's always best to be prepared.
2: Exactly.
1: So, listen, I really want to thank you again for spending so much time with us, and I hope this show gets lots of play in the future. And um, I know that when people are doing a search on Google for information about you know, employment law, that this show might pop up because Voice America is very aggressive in its search engine optimization. So, again, I I know that this will be an hour worth your while, Laura.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, Cindy. I really appreciate it.
1: And I will see you real soon. I want everybody to have a really terrific weekend. This show, by the way, will be rebroadcast next week um, because I will be out of town. So um, I will see everybody live on the 24th.
0: Psycho,